Look at verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord. She told him, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God, Father in heaven. Jesus, with his own mouth, declared that he was the resurrection and the life. And so, Father God, may we find that to be true today, not some coined sermon prepared that would be appropriate on Easter Sunday, but, Father, life going forth that would change lives even this day. God, we ask that you would so do. Your word promises, your word promises that when your word goes out that it never returns back empty or void, but it accomplishes that for the purpose it was sent. Accomplish your word today in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So why start at Lazarus' tomb on, on Easter Sunday? Because here at Lazarus' tomb, Jesus makes his most powerful I am statement. And when Jesus begins a statement with I am, it's always significant. In fact, you'll see in Luke's gospel, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus and they asked who he was, you know, are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am, they fell back. Because when Jesus said I am, he was saying that the same God that spoke to Moses out of a burning bush and said, I am, is standing before you right now. It was a powerful, powerful word. And here Jesus makes one of his greatest and most powerful I am statements recorded in Scripture. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I want you to note the declaration of his power came for, before the display of his power. It's almost like Jesus was saying, this is who I am, and if you don't believe, you're about to see this is who I am. The declaration came before the display. And what Jesus was saying and how it applies to us today is going to be our message. There's a significance to Lazarus being raised from the dead four days later and Jesus three days later. And you need to understand as to why. Why four days for Lazarus? Why three days for Jesus. You need to understand some things about Jewish burial custom. It was believed that the spirit of the deceased hovered around the body for three days, anticipating some possible re-entry, and that on the third day, the spirit was locked out. That's what was believed. And so one of the very definitive proofs that Jesus was God was the fact that he was raised from the dead on the third day. It had to be the third day because it was confounding Jewish tradition and Jewish custom that said that they had to be dead three days or they weren't really dead. It was just kind of a, a, a re-entry. You know, the spirit was hovering and because it was two days, Jesus specifically was raised on the third day because of this belief right here. So what was Jesus saying when he said, I am the resurrection and the life? I mean, we've all heard the story of Lazarus. What was he He's saying, I want to read a couple commentaries to you. The Pillar New Testament commentary says, there is neither resur resurrection nor eternal life outside of him, Jesus. The commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible says, the whole power to restore, impart, and maintain life resides in me. 
The interpretation of St. John's Gospel says no resurrection and no life exist except as they are embodied in Jesus. When he is absent, resurrection and life are absent. When he is present, resurrection and life are present. The commentary on the Holy Scriptures says resurrection is life itself in conflict, in conflict with and victory over death. It is the death of death and triumph over decay and dissolution swallowing up mortality and life. With that in mind, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians 3, verse 10. I'm going to be confronting some of the, the messages that are going forth from pulpits all over America and the world today because if there's ever been a time to be able to do so, I think it's on Easter Sunday. So look at Philippians 3, Verse 10, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is a huge deal. It's a big deal. Paul's thought process was that the power displayed at Jesus' resurrection was also available through Jesus. And without a doubt, it was power that was displayed at Jesus' resurrection. I want to read Romans 1, verse 4 to you. It says, And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. It was a display of great power. And Paul's process, his thinking was that the power that was available at Jesus' resurrection is available through Jesus because of the resurrection. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It's a great, great verse. Romans chapter 8, period, is a great chapter. But look at Romans 8, 11. It says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Please note the context there isn't what happens to you after you have left this earth and gone on to eternity. It is talking about your life here and now. He will give life to your mortal bodies. You do not need Jesus living in you when you have passed on into eternity and you're seeing him face to face. The context here is that the same spirit and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead when you become a believer in Jesus and you invite Jesus into your heart dwells in you. It's power that dwells in you. It's power that dwells in you. And how many of you know that only God has the power to change a life. You can discipline yourself. You can lose weight. You can get in shape. You can get ripped abs. Well, maybe some of us. I don't even know if I'd want to put the time and effort into getting ripped abs. Or I might rip an ab. The one that I have. And it's in there. It's in there. Um, you can do a lot of things. You can discipline yourself in a lot of ways, but you cannot change yourself. You can try to reinvent yourself. You can make your new, your new Year's resolution. I wonder how many have wore off by, by now. But only Jesus Christ can change someone. 
And the difference between how God changes us and how we might change ourselves is we change ourselves from the outside. God changes us from the inside out. When we invite Jesus into our heart, the change begins and it's on. And then there's a battle. And we're either cooperating with the work that God is doing on the inside of us or we're fighting against it. So the same spirit that raised Jesus in power dwells in us so that we can not only know Jesus, but Philippians 3.10 says that we can know the power of his resurrection too. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but that's a powerful statement. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I don't know how you can intimately have a relationship with Jesus Christ without knowing the same power that raised him from the dead. And I'm going to make a strong case for that today. So why is this so important for us today? Why? Why is resurrection power so important for us today? I want to show you why it's so important for us today. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's get down to the nitty gritties. 2 Timothy 3. It's been called the last days unchurched. These are Paul's writing shortly before he is going to pass. We know from 2 Peter 4, 6 that Paul knows that he is not long. He's soon to be martyred under Nero's regime. And Paul is now speaking prophetically and he is telling Timothy that in the last days perilous times will come. Dangerous times would be maybe even a better word. He's saying people are going to be unthankful. They're going to be unloving. They're going to be unholy. They're going to be disobedient to parents. He begins to describe the last days unchurched. Unthankful, unholy, unloving. Begins to describe it. I want to draw your attention to verse 5. It says, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly stay away from people like that. What are they rejecting? The power. What power? Resurrection power. What other power is there when you're talking about God for a human being on this earth? They're going to reject it. They're going to reject the power of God in the last days. Why did Jesus suffer, die, get buried, and rise from the dead three days later so that we could go to heaven? Okay, part of it. But John 10.10 said that Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. What kind of life? Resurrection life. Resurrection life. Transforming powerful life. And it's really what the gospel is all about. I want to describe to you what the gospel is, and then I want to describe to you that the gospel is powerful. So let's look at a couple portions of Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. And those of you that are with us for the first time, I want you to know, rest assured, that this isn't just an Easter Sunday thing where we're quoting Scripture all the time. We do this all the time because we believe in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news or of the gospel, older versions will say, I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And now, 
Paul is going to begin to tell you what the gospel is or what the good news is. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Notice that the gospel is very simply, Jesus suffered, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he was seen by over 500 people in his resurrected state. That's the gospel. And why is it so important that the gospel be preached, that Jesus is preached? Because let's just be honest, if Jesus isn't being preached, it's not the gospel. Preach about whatever you want to, but don't call it the gospel if Jesus isn't being preached. Go to Romans 1, and we will look at why it's so important that the gospel be preached. Paul, in Romans 1.16, says, For I am not ashamed of this good news or of this gospel about Christ. If it is not about Jesus and it's not about Christ, no matter how close it is, it is not the gospel. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. What is it at work? It's the power of God at work. It's the power of God at work. There are two gospels that are being preached today. One denies its power and another one proclaims its power. One gospel says that you can come to Jesus as you are and you can stay as you are and you can lobby scripture and ministers and they'll reinforce what you are and who you are and what you wanna be and what you always wanna be. And then there's another gospel that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things are become new. If I believed in a powerless gospel, I would still be smoking weed and snorting coke like I was when I came to Jesus. If I still believed in a powerless gospel, I would still be sleeping around with whatever I laid my eyes on like I was before I came to know Jesus. But the power of the gospel transformed me and it changed me. And called us to come to an area that we knew no one, and I mean no one in Ionia. We had never been to a free fair. We had never been to a single thing in Ionia. My concept as a kid growing up by the highway in Grand Rapids of a fair was what I saw in Charlotte's Web growing up. That was a fair. And I guess the food's supposed to be really good, and I found out that that is a gospel too because it's true, the food's really good at a fair. Don't eat a lot because it might hurt, but it's really good. Um, So one denies its power, another proclaims its power. And every conversion contains a resurrection from the dead. When people invite Jesus into their heart, they go from being dead to their sins and now alive in Christ. That's the change and that's the transformation. That's what changed me. First time I heard the gospel preached, I was up till five in the morning snorting coke with my buddy who was a coke dealer. And when I heard it, it messed with me. I, I, I had to go back. There was something about the preacher's words that got on the inside of me and was messing with me was messing with me. No, 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 it's going to get better, honey. (laughs) So, many 
have found it to be true that we go from dead in our sins to alive in Christ, but many don't stay tapped into the power source and they fizzle out. If it begins with resurrection power, then it must be maintained by resurrection power. You can't begin something supernaturally and try to maintain it in your own strength. You have to stay tapped into that supernatural power source. And many begin to enjoy the benefits of having a relationship with the living God and then they fizzle out because they think somewhere along the lines that God's done such a good job of changing their life that they can take it from there. And Paul says to them in Galatians chapter 3, as he was saying it to the Galatians, in fact, it wasn't just Galatians, it was the churches in Galatia, if you look at Galatians chapter 1, he tells them, who bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to finish in the flesh? Who sold you that bill of goods? Who lied to you? Who are we to think that we could begin in Christ and we could finish in our own efforts, in our own flesh, in our own humanity? So Jesus died in his flesh so that we could try to live this new life in Christ out in our flesh. No, 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 no. He died to show us a new and a living way. And his body became the veil that was torn on our behalf. Aren't you grateful that we're not in some old system where we're sending some high priest into the Holy of Holies to make atonement for everybody one time a year? But now Jesus, our great high priest, made it possible for us to boldly approach him whenever we want. 24-7, he is there, the bread of heaven, the showbread that was before God 24-7. He is there and he's available for us. And he will give us daily bread. Don't we pray that? Give us this day our daily bread. God will do that. God will do that. And those of you that have begun with him have found that to be true. So if we could know anything, we're going to find out, and it's becoming more and more obvious today than ever before. The church in America has never been as persecuted as it is right now, and I wish I could tell you it's going to get better. I just don't foresee that in light of Scripture. But if we know anything from Scripture, like verses, like 2 Peter 3, or 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, the last day's believer must and will live by resurrection power. They will not be able to hold to a form of godliness, some pious mask. They will have to live by the Spirit's power. We'll have to. It will, it will not be a choice for them because the power of God is going to be rejected in the last days. And if you look up that word reject or denying in older versions in 2 Peter 3, 5, it means to say no. It literally means to, to say no. So why would people want to be religious or have a form of godliness but say no to God's resurrection power? Why? Why? I've got an answer for you. I'm no scholar, but I would say it's because they don't want to change. And they don't want God changing them. As if they know better and God does not. As if God wouldn't change them for the better. I mean, has anybody in this room been changed by God and you would say, you know what, now that I think about it, I was a lot better off, you know, before I knew Jesus. I mean, I had it so much more together then. Um, it, it was just better all the way around. And I, you know, I don't like this. And people in the last days are going to say no to Jesus. They're, gonna, they're, they're not going to say no to religion. They're not going to say no to even religious appearance. They're going to say no to Jesus and his life-changing power. That's what they're going to say no to. They will reject the power that could make them godly because you cannot make yourself godly. And you can't call yourself godly. People either see it 
or they don't. If there's a power there, they'll see it. You don't boast it. You don't brag about it. You let them see it. And I think today, more than ever, people are sick and tired of hearing from Christians, and I think they just prefer to see some. Amen? Amen. They'll hear the gospel, they'll reject its power. They'll let it hit their ears, but not their heart. They already have an identity. They just want to observe and attend, not be changed and transformed by the power of the living God. But because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have power, and I want to offer six powerful things that God has made available to us when we choose to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And choosing to be a believer just doesn't happen because you come to church. It, it, it doesn't happen because you pray a few prayers or even crack open your Bible. It happens through a complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ, naming him Lord and surrendering your life to him. And I want to offer six things, six things. Some of them we looked at, but I just kind of, I'm going to want to reiterate them. Go to 2 Timothy 1, 7. I want you to know where these are so that you can refer to them too. And I don't know if I put these in my notes. And so you guys, Sound Booth, forgive me. I got all excited and forgot to tell you. 2 Timothy 1, 7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Please note the word power there. You're going to see a theme in all six of these. When you become a Christian, you get the powerful Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, not of fear. And it is so powerful that it is able to give you a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. Number two, go to Acts 1.8. So number one would be salvation through Jesus Christ. It's so powerful that it can change you. Look at Acts 1, 8. And maybe depending on the way that you were raised, if you were raised in church, this might be challenging a little bit, but I love a challenge. Acts 1, 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Pastor John, I thought that when I became a Christian, I got the Holy Spirit. Yes, you did. But in comparison to a baptism of the Holy Spirit or when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Salvation is like a drink, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like going swimming. And you will find consistent with New Testament doctrine that salvation... Water baptism and baptism in the Spirit are three separate events. You could study it for yourself in Acts chapter 9. Well, shoot, let's go there. Acts 19. Acts 19. He made that up. I did not make it up. Acts 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Several believers. We're talking believers. Believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. What a strange question if we get the Holy Spirit when we believe. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. They replied, the baptism of John or, the, or water baptism. 
Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. They believed. They had the Holy Spirit in them, but the Holy Spirit had not come upon them. Salvation, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and also note in Acts 1, verse 8, if you want to study it, that word witnesses, same root is where we get martyr from. So when these believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was so powerful that they were willing to give their lives for what they believed. And aren't you glad that they did? We are enjoying right now what they paid the price for then. I so struggle with the belief that there'll be no suffering if you're a Christian today. That's not consistent with anything that our founding fathers paid the price for, is it? I believe there is suffering. I believe there is persecution if you're going to go public with your belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, back in the day, water baptism, you know, was when you went public with Jesus Christ. John was calling people to repent and to be baptized. They didn't do public invitations where people invited Jesus into their heart until like the 1900s. I mean, up until then in the church, you went public when you got water baptized. Man, I'm a believer in Jesus. I've repented of my sins. I've turned from that way of life and I'm now following Jesus's new way of life. I mean, water baptism was when you went public. So salvation is powerful. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful. We've looked at this verse, but let's look at it again in Romans 1, 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news or this gospel about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The gospel is powerful. And I'd like to say the gospel is the word preached. The gospel needs to, to, to go out. It must be it must be preached. Salvation is powerful. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Go to James chapter 5. James 5. Look at verse 16. says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Salvation is powerful. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon you is powerful. The gospel is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Beginning this Thursday and continuing Every Thursday, we're going to open up the church doors, and from noon to one, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And people can come, and they can pray. And it is going to be people taking turns and publicly praying, coming to God on behalf of our city, on, on behalf of our churches, on behalf of Father in heaven, we ask that you would change Ionia that Ionia, the number of believers would increase in Ionia and Ionia County, explode the churches in this area. May they be swallowed with people that are coming to Christ and Father, raise up people that would disciple the many that are coming. We're gonna pray. Okay, from noon to one. 
From noon wise, we're not soaking, we're not, we're not lingering, we're, we're praying, and that's what we're gonna do, okay? Not teaching, we're, we're gonna pray. So every Thursday from noon to one, elbow somebody and say Thursday, noon to one. Starting this Thursday, we're gonna begin to pray. Salvation is powerful, baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful, the gospel is powerful, prayer is powerful. Go to Philippians 3.10. We've looked at this verse. I want to come back to it. I told you that I would. I want to keep my word. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Intimacy with God is powerful. That word know means to intimately know. Intimacy with God is powerful. This is what we believe in our house, Lisa and I, that if we could raise our sons in such a way that they could um, begin to cultivate a relationship with the living God and begin to discern his voice, we've done good. Because an intimate relationship with God is a powerful, powerful thing and what you want for your kids and what you want for your grandkids is for them to begin to have a relationship with God that is healthy and strong enough to where they can discern God's voice speaking to them in their life and I too along with Vice President Mike Pence believe in a God that speaks a God that I can talk to and a God that talks to me he will walk with me and he will talk with me along life's narrow way I believe and if that makes me nuts so sign me up and give me the white jacket and put me in a padded cell so intimacy with God is powerful all five of these instances, if you were to look up the word power in every one of these portions of scripture, you'll find the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get dynamite from. It is explosive power. Explosive power. I mean, you're talking about something so powerful that it can explode in a moment. The fuse is lit and it explodes. Every one of these instances it is powerful. Salvation is that powerful. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is that powerful. The gospel is that powerful. It can blow your life up. Prayer is that powerful. Intimacy with God is that power. It is explosively powerful. Dunamis, powerful. I said number six. I want to look at the last one. And it is a different word used here in Hebrews 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. The word of God, the Bible, is powerful. That word powerful, though, it's a different word. It's a different word. It means a a, a, a power that is working, a power that is actively working. When you begin to read your Bible, and as a believer, you've invited Jesus in your heart, the Bible begins to make sense. Before I had invited Jesus into my heart, the Bible didn't make sense. And many times I tried to read it because I grew up in a religious home, and the Bible wasn't a foreign thing, it just wasn't a known thing. And I tried to read it and it didn't make sense. 
But after I became a Christian and I began to read the Bible, little did I know that as I began to read it, it began to actively work in and through my life. And as you are reading your Bibles, it will begin to work in you. If there's one discipline that I do not compromise, it is my discipline of regularly getting into God's Word. Yeah, miss a day here or there, absolutely. Let's not get religious about this. We're talking about something that's powerful and that works in your life. The more Scripture you begin to digest, the more it is working in you. If you physically eat, why wouldn't you want to spiritually eat? This is the owner's manual for your life, my pastor used to say. This is it. And so read it. Please read it. Let's close with Matthew's powerful account of the resurrection, and then we will pray together. Matthew 28, verse 1. I love how it says early on Sunday morning, how many of you know the reason why we assemble on Sunday is because that's when Jesus rose and what we believe revolves around Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid, he said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them and they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. How powerful. How powerful Jesus' resurrection is. And the same Holy Spirit and power that raised Jesus from the dead can be in you. Jesus Christ can change and transform anyone who invites him into their heart, but the choice and the decision is completely, utterly, and totally yours. You have to choose. Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. He reveals himself. He makes himself known. But you choose. You choose. So I want to give opportunity for you to choose today on Easter Sunday. And so could you close your eyes with me, bow your heads.